Hey, Rockheads, it's that time of year again to come up with a good excuse to join me and Richard at NDC London. Fortunately, all you have to do is tell your boss the truth. You want to learn about the latest technology and hobnob with the likes of Scott Hanselman, Lily Dart, Eric Meyer, Scott Allen, John Skeet, Jesse Sternschuss, Troy Hunt, Damian Edwards, and many more. NDC London 2016 is a full week event with pre-conference workshops on January 11th and 12th and the actual conference on January 13th through the 15th. You got just a few more days to save up to 300 pounds if you register by November 1st. So go to ndc-london.com right now and we'll see you there. .NET Rocks, episode 1211 with guest Matthew Wilson. Recorded Thursday, October 8th, 2015. Whoa! It's Don Rocks again! That's amazing! This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, we're here. Uh, wow, Matt Wilson's going to be talking about virtual reality and .NET today. It's going to be a great show. <laughs> well, I know you've got your you've got a Twitch for the Hololens, but have you got three thousand dollars worth of Twitch for the Hololens? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, we'll see. I might. It depends. It's uh, a lot of money. We'll see. Yeah, I kind of want to. I don't know. Uh, I, there's some other things that need to fall into place first. I'm totally with you. And I started. I actually went started going through the registration process, and they were asking very intelligent questions like, "How much 3D experience do you have?" Yeah, and that's you the know? thing too, right? I mean, I'm I'm pretty good with Unity, but I'm not really a 3D guy, and I'd really like to find uh, a partner that does 3D Unity or otherwise, yeah. and uh, partner with them because. There are lots of companies that are going to that I know of that are going to be wanting solutions on the Hololens. So, well, and I'm hoping we loop in with Tim Huckabee in the next month or so because you gotta know the Internology guys are going to be working. Oh, on they're this stuff. totally all over it. Yeah. yeah, they were doing the 3D heart stuff and so forth back in the original Surface days. So. Yeah. I bet they're going to be deeply immersed in that. It'll be a great story. Well, and you know, it's funny because the Better Know framework that I have today fits in with this theme quite oh. nicely. Well, play that funky music. All right, dude, what do you got? You probably know about this already. You're the person I heard about it from. Oh. But um, this one in particular you might not know about. This is uh, Virtuix. Go to V-I-R-T-U-I-X dot com. It is a omnidirectional treadmill for virtual reality. Oh, right. Yeah. So it's this circular treadmill that you stand in the middle of and you sort of strap yourself in and it's got supports on either side and a belt that you wear. But you can move in 360 degrees and wherever you just walk, it knows which direction. You can actually turn. So you're essentially, you have a, a virtual reality headset on you can walk around and you just turn and walk and turn and walk and keep walking. And it just feels like you're walking through reality. Now I played with, uh, the Omni tread, which th that's what this is. Yeah. And, uh, I, I had the experience with an Oculus Rift and they also put a, a 3d sensor on it so that you can see your hands mm. and combine with this. And the effect is incredibly compelling until yeah. you know you do have to keep your balance you cannot jump 
Yeah. You cannot run. Yeah. You just have to walk. And so there is a bit of a self-control thing here, especially when stuff's flying at you. Because they tend to do this all with first-person shooters, which is, right. you know, terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the Oculus Rift also has its own issues with balance and things. And um, uh, But I think that they're working on that and trying to make that experience a little more gentle. But is this going to – do you think this is the new gaming environment? Like, that's the rig? I certainly do. I mean, I – I certainly think that there's got to be some way that you can simulate walking through uh, a, a, a world, you know. I mean, you can see how crazy this can get, right? You can put it up on uh, hydraulic lifts. Yep. So you could be walking uphill, walking downhill. You know, all of a sudden you've got grades, um, that kind of thing. You can uh, have... Um, walls that enclose around you so that you could put your hand up against a wall, for example. Yeah, that the haptic feedback thing's a whole other you level. You can go isn't it? crazy with this stuff. So, <laughs> all right, man, we got we got to talk about how to program this, but yeah, very yeah, cool. Exactly, exactly. So that's what I got. It's Virtuix, V I R T U I X dot com, and it's the OmniTread. Love it. All right, Richard, who's talking to us? Grabbed a comment off of show 1200, because there's so many good comments on that show. Yeah. And uh, that's the one we did with Rob Connery, where we talked about his enthusiasm for Elixir. And Brendan Otto just wrote this comment, he said, and uh, literally within the the past day. Mm -hmm. I've been interested in Elixir and now Phoenix due to the previous episode with Chris McCord and by watching talks by Dave Thomas. Ah. It would be the third language I'd be adding, so I'm still working on my methods to acquire languages and getting the highest level of similarities between the languages, which is a really cool transition. I mean, you know I've been programming long enough, Carl. We switch languages so many times. You sort of have that meta about language. Right. So Brendan's having that experience right now with his third language. I, that's really cool. Yeah. And he's got such interesting language choices. Uh I did appreciate the fact that the discussion covered learning a language at a higher level and how it works into your day-to-day work. Because that's what we talked about with Rob, right? The whole, let's yeah. build a CRUD app with Elixir. Exactly. Uh, I noticed that the code I write during the nine to five hours takes on a little bit of style based on what I am working on after hours. It would be interesting to compare the work done six months ago, since I can't remember yesterday's work, to something written today and guess at the influence of what I'm working on now. Like, could you tell what your side project was by looking at your production code at work day over day? I think that's kind of a cool idea. Yeah. The next step could then be to make the argument over whether it makes my overall code across languages better or if it makes me seem like I'm just a conflicted individual. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what style I'm going for exactly. Who am I? Great show, though, and I always enjoy Rob's perspective on things, which I totally agree. It's one of the reasons we did that show is when Rob's enthusiastic about something, it is so infectious and yep. so fun. Yep. We just wanted to capture that on a recording. Exactly. Uh, Brandon, thank you so much for your comment. Congratulations on that third language. Uh, it is a mind shift, and I do believe it'll make you a better programmer. And soon, you'll have a .NET Rocks mug, because I'm going to ship one out to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NETrocks.com or via any of our social media, because we publish every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And, of course, you can reach us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Please don't be shy. Send us a tweet. And now let me introduce Matthew Wilson. He has been developing software for nearly 20 years and came to .NET in late 2002, working in the financial sector in London. Uh, Originally born in Saskatoon, Canada. Woohoo! Whoa! 
He grew up in Adelaide, Australia, and after a 10-year stint traveling the world developing .NET software, he's returned to Australia and now runs Novus Res, a virtual reality development company. His passion is building software, and he loves how VR now allows him to explore more creative aspects to software development and user interfacing. He hopes VR is here to stay and actively encourages software developers to explore developing and virtual reality, especially in .NET. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Matt, make my day. Thanks, man. Welcome. <laughs> Actually, there's an interesting point in your bio right there, because this is not the first time sort of virtual reality has come around. I remember talking about this 10 years ago. VRML. Yeah. Virtual reality yeah. modeling language, I think it was called. Or markup language. Markup know, one of those. something, yeah. So, yeah. And you remember back to the 90s when it really first came out, and you'd go down the corner, and you have those sort of arcades where they have those big rigs set up. And really poor graphics, and sort of you'd, you'd almost stand in almost like the uh, the Omni Tread, but it didn't actually do anything. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> Around the time that the Lawnmower Man came out, and those oh, sorts man. of films. You know what? And just to geek out here for a minute, you know what video game really amazed me back in the day was Dragon's Lair. Do you remember oh, that? Oh wow, yeah, good one. <laughs> the laser disc game. Yeah, it was a laser disc game. So it was actually like video cartoon of. You know, you walking through a, a sort of a virtual thing, and it was totally different than something in a world that had been constructed with line graphics, like most of the other games at the time. Yeah. Well, it's nice now that we're finally at that point where the technology is caught up, and we can actually now have proper games like that. Yeah. Is the Oculus Rift the thing? I, I think it's one of the things. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's, uh, I think I mean. I think at last count, I've found a list of well over 25 different headsets currently oh, yeah. in development or wow. on the market. Um, I, I, I'd say Oculus is definitely one of the ones that's up there. Um, you know, purchased by Facebook earlier earlier this year. Shows a serious investment in the technology. So The thing that made me I mean, take Oculus Rift seriously is when John Carmack joined. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, that guy has led the, I mean, he basically invented the first-person shooter, wrote all the original engines for 3D and stuff. When he drops what he's doing to go work with somebody else on something, you're like, you should take the hint. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And, and, and the things such as the uh, the support Oculus is giving for releasing SDKs for programs like Unity and yeah. uh, making it so available and so easy to use. Are you one of these guys that has one of everything? Like you said, there's like 25 headsets out there. You got them do all? You have, uh, how many of these do you have? No, you we, 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 we only have a, have a few. We've sort of played with the, the Oculus is the main one we, we developed for. Mm -hmm. um, and when we're doing our displays and exhibits and conferences, that's the main one we take. Because you just get that at the moment, it just seems to give you the best immersive experience. Right. But we've played with the VR gear and the Google Cardboard as well. Right. Um, but for the most part, it's the Oculus at the moment. So walk us through this. I mean, we've done shows on Unity. We've talked about a bunch mm. of different things. But if you're going to – where do you start when you start thinking in terms of building a VR app? Is it all about the 3D? I'd say, it's, I'd say it's mainly about the 3D. I'd say sort of a, maybe a 60-40 split, perhaps. Mm -hmm. the, the way we approach it now is um, it, it's really like developing any, pro, any other sort of application. Oh, yeah. All you're doing, all you're doing now is replacing the, the front end with uh, the 3D elements. So rather than using, say, XAML and WPF or HTML, 
you're now having to work in 3D assets and models. And yeah, it's just a slightly different mindset. But essentially, the, the underlying process is the same. So as you, as you mentioned, it's quite easy to get your head around Unity and developing in .NET using Unity. The real trick to make these things work is the, is the assets that you have, the 3D artwork and the 2D artwork and the music that really bring it all to give you, together to give you that really immersive experience. And is it, the it focus take, on games or is there a more business-oriented products being built? No, it's, it's really, we're really quite surprised. We do a, quite a number of conferences and there's a bigger push from uh, the sort of uh, industrial applications mm-hmm. than the gaming at the moment. A lot, a lot of the serious conversations we're having with, with companies is about developing industrial applications for 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 training is a big one right oh yeah but even just even just visualization so no we've been quite surprised over the last six months how the business side of vr is really well and seems to be really quite well understood it's not just games which is obviously going to be a huge market as well right it seems like everybody and their brother wants to reimagine their you know what they can do with a, a virtual space Either, it. whether it's customer-facing or whether it's within the business. That's right. And, and it does. Like for people like yourselves and, uh, and other developers who have worked for the last two, three years, starting to learn about this new phase of VR, it's kind of, we get it and understand it, but there's still a lot of hype around there. And a lot of people haven't tried it. And we, we keep a, a, a file, a folder of first-time reaction videos Oh, really? Yes, and some That's of them are just great. fantastic. The, 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 the sort of uncontrollable joy and often swearing and stuff that goes on as people sort of look around. and Yeah, there's still so much excitement around it. I used to keep a collection of pictures from the holy shit cam. <laughs> and it was the camera I hung between the racks in my server closet in my house because nobody expects to open a closet door and see what's behind that. So you always get the same look on the face. Typically of a, you know, I have several different internet connections, right? So, you know, one of the modems would fail and the guy wanted to install. I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> and he'd insist. I'm like, oh, it's in that closet. He'd open the door and I'd get a great picture. Well, and that's essentially what we call it. It's, a, it's, a, it's really called internally, it's called the holy crap file. Because it's, that's that's the reaction you get. <laughs> I love it, <laughs> like mine. <laughs> but no, it really has been so surprising. Um, the breadth of excitement, and everyone has that. Every time you talk to someone new, and is that experience say, oh, you, primarily you that Oculus experience? I've certainly had exactly that feeling with Oculus. Yeah, it, it just seems that to really immerse you a well-made app will really immerse and you'll forget where you are and we, we've spoken to photographers and videographers who are trying to do things with um you know the vr gear and whatnot and mm-hmm. we that we show them the rift and how it works and they, they come out rethinking the way the approach to the technology they're using and in a couple of cases we'll actually switch across to oculus because you just get a for the moment a, a much better experience so you're obviously in the net camp but what technologies can be used to develop virtual reality on what platforms? Yeah, I mean, there's a whole range, obviously, like um, Unity.net's a good one. Yeah. The, the, uh, engines like the Unreal Engine now support C++. Okay. So, again, using through Visual Studio. And, again, there's a whole raft. If you do a Google search, there are programs like um, Visard, which you can develop in Python if you want to. Is Unity your sort of platform of choice? 
Yeah, it is. I mean, Unity really made a smart choice uh, 12 months ago when they really changed the whole structure of the way they released their engine. They're mm. making it more accessible. They've mm -hmm. done a few releases in the last two years. And especially the recent release, the, the, the version 5 release, where they've really brought the level of um, physically-based rendering and a lot of the engine features much closer to some of the quality you used to get at Unreal. So yeah. for us, yeah, simply because we can develop in .NET, it's, it's the place to go. Now, I've never thought of Unity as trying to create really real environments, but, you know, the dimensionally it was correct, but it was cartoony enough that you sort of never fell into the uncanny valley. Are you trying to go super realistic, or, or is it just it works well? Well, that's it. I mean, you can often tell a Unity project, and if you go to something like yeah. the Oculus Share space, you can really tell which ones have been made in Unity. Mm -hmm. What we've sort of focused on over the last 12, 18 months is not just throwing together some stuff and playing in VR, that's all well and good. It's, yeah, creating that sense of realism I through think. the visuals. So does Unity apps look like Unity apps because of default assets, the same way SharePoint apps tend to look like SharePoint because of default assets, or um, even Bootstrap? Like, you can tell a Bootstrap website because the defaults. That's, that's, that's a really great analogy, and that's exactly what what happens a lot of people don't dig into the detail because there is there's so much you can get into you don't just have to use the default light shaders and the default textures you could totally lose yourself in the store right in the asset yeah. store oh the asset store is just fantastic isn't it i mean we, we sort of approach these as these projects as you would any other project and you look at various features and and requirements and say do we develop this feature ourselves or do we go on the asset store and set a budget on the asset store for some some of the really great tools that are out there? Um, you know, tools like World Composer and some of the substance shaders which start to give you that really polished look and then a whole series of camera and cinematic effects to start developing games that definitely don't look like out-of-the-box Unity default games. Right. Yeah, just getting away from that look. Yeah, I mean, we've had a few where, uh, for examples, um, I think there's some of these are up on our website, uh, an experience where you can walk around the Himalayan mountains, and again, going as close as we can to realism, uh, to, so you, it does help immerse you more, and you don't feel as much as you're in a game. And the same thing with the uh, International Space Station, <laughs> often at points during the day, I'll get a, need a bit of a break, and we'll just pop the headset on, pop the headphones mm. on, sit back, and sit up on the International Space Station just looking down at the Earth. And in order to get the Earth looking realistic, we wrote a custom shader that uses really high-resolution images, which you can't do out of the box with Unity. So again, going a bit deeper into the workings of Unity to create these really realistic um, experiences. Do you use your own photography and video, too, in your, in your uh, games or, or apps? Yeah, yeah. So we're lucky. We've got um, a couple of developers who are also ha have worked a lot as um, 3D artists and 2D artists, so that they're able to bring some very high quality assets to the to the applications we build. Because that really is what, like what you guys were talking about. You know, getting around the defaults and making your own stuff just puts your mark on it, and you can definitely tell when you're in in an experience that has been done that way. Yeah, that's right. And you are bringing that element. It's kind of 
you do start to shift more from a sort of a traditional application developer to a little, little bit more sliding towards the game developer in a, in a way or the, the game studio and that you're bringing some of those other elements into the, the development cycle. Yeah, I just call it, you're an artist. I mean, that's really what it is. It's, it's interactive art, right? Yeah, and that's what I love about it. You get to get to, from a personal point of view, you get to combine writing code, which I love, with being really creative, like like yourself with your music, Carl. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. Yeah. Finding a way to to bring all of those things together. So, um, is there speaking of music? Is there a demand for music in these applications? Music beds? Yeah, we're, we're always yeah. I mean, again. The, one of the things we've found that really helps with creating that uh, immersion is really good audio assets. Mm. So a good, a good soundtrack. Um, anyway, where we, we work with some local artists here in Adelaide. Um, but also there are, you know, having to go and source, source music. It's going to be an, become an increasing thing. As you said, Mm. a lot of development houses are going to start to be approached by people soon by clients soon saying we want to do VR mm. and there's going to be a need for people who can create not just the, the coding content but also the visual content and I think audio artists are going to be part of that as well. Now, um, Unity uses C Sharp as a scripting language, right? Yes. Um, and you can also use JavaScript too, so come at yeah. it from both sides. Um, as, but is that really .NET though? Yeah, essentially, they they call it the .NET 2 subset, but essentially it is .NET. There are some things, so some people have sort of, mentioned, sort of said it's roughly equivalent to .NET 3.5. There are some things you can't do, but for most applications, we've not come across any limitations in using the .NET 2 subset that they provide. Hmm. Right, and it's not like you have to do the entire game framework. Most of the time you're responding to uh you know stimuli things that happen in the game that uh, you have to get in and you know do your thing and get out as quickly as possible right yeah that's right that's right the, the coding tends to be a little more simple than larger applications and, and for instances where you do have more complex features or you need a database you can use your your standard um sort of API, MVC APIs and SQL yeah. databases and still connect to that. So, and, so you can still have your tiered programs if you need. And of course, you know, you could use something like, um, like they used in, in Halo, you know, the, uh, the actor model stuff on the Orleans. server. Orleans, yeah. Yeah. And it yeah. easily um, hook up that, wire up that stuff with C Sharp easily. That, exactly, yeah. It's really the, the combination of the two is surprisingly powerful. What's Especially the, now that they've shipped Visual Studio Express with the latest release, you can yeah. get away from using MonoDevelop, which was always for good fun. Right. Is it Express or Community Edition? I think it's Express. Yeah, because in 2015 they had the, called, now calling it, uh, uh, I don't know if they're going to keep making Express, but they're calling it, they've got a version called Community Edition, which is free. And it right. seems a little richer, actually. Okay. But you know, it's an on, it's an ongoing cycle. What is the dev cycle like? Like, do you actually develop wearing the goggles? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. It does make the testing phase a little little longer than you'd hope sometimes because you're in there and you're just playing a game, <laughs> essentially. <you're> playing, essentially <laughs> playing. As soon as so anything we, starts we, to work, you play. You're like, hey man, I'm at work. 
that's it. I mean, there are, there are times where I've been sitting at the desk with the headset on. Uh, we were doing a forklift training application. So I was driving this forklift with the goggles on at the desk, and the phone rang, so I just picked it up. And I was in the game <laughs> driving this forklift because it was just fun, really good right. fun, picking up, picking up boxes, putting them on shelves, loading trucks, and, uh, and on the phone having a sort of a, a, a chat with a colleague <laughs> in this space. So, yeah. I'm sure I've seen a video where somebody was in a VR space they were constructing and actually pulled a code window up in the VR space, wrote a little code, that, and then continued running. That was a very cool uh, video that was on YouTube uh, using the Oculus Rift, and the guy had reconstructed his screen, right? You know, and, and basically whatever he typed into his you know, programming environment, he could see on his screen. So he replicated his programming screen, right? And you could actually watch him building his world around him as he typed. (laughs) (laughs) It's very, very cool. Is this not how you do it, Matt? (laughs) It's not, but we're going to be looking at that tomorrow, I can tell you. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) It just seems very Matrix-y, right? It, It very much does. (laughs) <laughs> very, a little think, bit holodeck perhaps <laughs> i think we're we've, we've bamboozled him he's I've like blow, i think we've blown his mind blown oh his that, mind. i found it brian perius is That's there it. is a code window floating in a 3d space and he starts typing on it yeah i'll, I'll include the link <laughs> on the show notes because it we should all develop this way absolutely uh, and that's what i love about vr is that it's so new you never know what's what it's going to be like, even a, even a year's time. So to see to hear of this sort of stuff, it just oh, it makes me smile so much. It's so good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the regular coding pattern is you're working in a normal development environment, and then you yeah you, you, you have run it of, and put the goggles on. Yeah. Well, typically you will you will run it without the goggles first, just in in dev mode in the Unity IDE, oh, okay. just to make sure it is it is running, uh, and then flick across to the goggles just to. Uh, and so do you just have two uh, screens essentially side by side or two <laughs> windows that are the, the two eyes for the VR view? Well, Unity will actually give you a nice view oh, Okay. In its, in its dev mode. But yeah, you'll still develop with the two screens, but typically you'll have Unity on one and mm-hmm. Visual Studio on another. And, and then, um, you know, a program like 3D Max or something like that for the artwork. Right. Photoshop and whatnot in the background as well. You like 3D Max? I'm terrible, terrible at it, but the other guys are really good. I do enjoy it. I wish I could do what the other guys do, to, to see them, to, to do a sketch for them and see them create it in a you know, 20, half, 20 minutes or half an hour. Mm. It just blows my mind. And then, to, and then to bring it into the 3D world, put the goggles on and actually walk around it is, yeah, it still blows my mind. But it I, is. And I, some people, and I have a house full of super creative women, and uh, they just have no problem doing this, but it baffles me. Yeah, same. It's it's that working in a the, the working in three D space. I find hard, but they just it must be a mindset thing that you come to learn to, yep. to look at the screen and just left top front camera view. Yeah, and to know that this particular um, vertex that you've picked, you've you've selected, and how it moves in three D space as you move your mouth left left and right. It's yeah, it's a, it's a mindset. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I, so you've got folks that are just good at that. They make the assets. So what part of the app do you build? So it, it's I'm more on the, the coding side. Mm-hmm. And actually, well, the, one th- the one thing I really enjoy is designing the the virtual spaces, the worlds or the environments in which the, the whole program takes place. Um, and I, I, I tend to do more of the, the 2D artwork. 
right. and the tex- texturing and, and the lighting and stuff that goes along with it. Well, I love this forklift training app because I can totally see why you'd need one, right? Like if you mess up with a forklift, you not only can kill somebody, but you can damage some expensive goods. Yeah, that's so. right. That's right. And, th- and this gives you a really safe way to go and do it, to, to, roll, a, to roll a forklift. I mean, I actually went and did a forklift training course prior to building this. Um, and yeah, you, you can't experience what it's like to actually, yeah, to, to run into a bit of plant or to, to drop a, you know, a pallet full of boxes right. or, or, or to tip a forklift over. Yeah, that, that's what I would think. You pick up too big of a load too high up and lose balance. Yeah, that's it. That's it. You put your brakes on a little bit too fast and the whole machine will actually yeah, tilt forward and possibly tip over. So I'm just thinking through the software involved in that. I'm obviously you need a 3D space, but now you've got to have and you've got to have a good model of the forklift itself, so you sort of what is the view from in the forklift? Then you've got to have really good physics for knowing, well, what is the tipping point for this? Yeah, that, that that's right. And that, and that's where you start to uh you have to think you know, not, typically not a lot of the software will write, whether it's a website or a mobile app or a, you know, a cloud app, an Azure application. You don't really mm-hmm. have to worry about physics too much. No. But you don't have to start thinking in terms of vectors and you know, masses and uh, time, even just thinking in terms of time. Because when you're developing in, in Unity, you're working in, in a game engine, which, which is based on a frame rate. Right. So ev- mm-hmm. every tick of a frame, you're having to make sure you react appropriately. Mm-hmm. Well, and I know from playing Kerbal, which is a Unity game, its frame rate varies all of the time. So quite often it's catching up, slowing down. Like, do you end up having to battle that? Yeah, you can actually do things to limit frame rates to try and make sure it's quite um, stable. Okay. But again, that's another part of the game is actually of the, of the development cycle is, and we, we've had it in, in the forklift simulation where you have too many physics objects, which the game has to keep track of. It yep. will have a, mm-hmm. an effect on frame rate, which... Is amplified when you're using devices like the Oculus. As soon as you start to get lag in in the display, that's when you start to get the motion sickness, which is so common. Absolutely. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? Uh, I must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to come clean, Richard. Oh, about what, buddy? Well, for the last ten years, you and I have been fooling the world into thinking we're human. But we're actually 3D projections designed and built by Ray Kurzweil. And I may be taking a chance here and getting shut down, but I can't live with myself anymore. You're weird, man. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, psych. Just kidding. It's time to give away a D-Experience subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. Awesome, dude. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Don G. Waldo. Congratulations, Don. Golf clap for you, sir. Yeah. Yeah. 
With the clappers. With the clappers. And Don just won the D-Experience subscription, a big pile of awesome from Developer Express. And hey, if you don't know what we're talking about here, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. And every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you have to sign up to win. We also like to ask our guest, Matthew, if you had $5,000, this ought to be good, huh? If you had $5,000 <laughs> to spend on technology today, what would you buy? Well, uh, I'm going to really geek out here on you what guys. What do you have? <laughs> <laughs> what I think I would do, and it's kind of changed in the last couple of days, but the, ah. the core concept was uh, essentially I'll turn my spare room into a holodeck. Whoa. So spend some, some spend some money on decorations to make it look right, uh, and then essentially get the best sort of VR rig I can. Would you make like circular walls and have a circular projector, or or it, that? It, it, it would it would have to be full Star Trek yeah. replica? Yeah, it would. Yeah, wow. but having seen now that um, the Hololens has been released, yeah, a portion of that would I think have to go and do it in the hololens instead yeah sure because all you need is four blank walls right exactly exactly yeah and then you can unfortunately it hasn't been released here yet it's only north america i think for the time being but Whoa, still that, actually that, that's what i would do actually that's not true if you select other you can select other instead of us and canada when you sign up really? and they will send it out I, I believe i got that word a couple of days ago oh fantastic well, that's really good news We've been hanging out for for months to get our hands on one of those. Yeah, because again, the uh, it just adds to the to the set oh, of, yeah. of what you can do with this VR AR space. Yeah, you guys are going to go crazy with that, I'm sure. It, it really is crazy. People are really getting excited by it. And sort of inquiries we get. It's quite. I'm quite surprised. The hard bit. We've got to talk about the the motion sickness thing because that's a really mm. interesting part and definitely lag on a 3d space is gotta make you ill yeah and, and it, it's kind of the response varies from person to person obviously depending on different physiologies but yeah it's most people at some point will experience some sort of motion sickness especially when you get really bad lag in the system yeah but that that's one but it, is there things you can do like uh I yeah, get chills in, in certain parts of Kerbal, even without wearing VR goggles, just because, you know, you have that moment of, I'm hanging in space. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly things you can do from uh, um, making sure that the, the application itself is optimized for the hardware that you're using. Different hardware, obviously, can give you different capabilities, but if you're loading that hardware, the graphics card too hard, and it's trying to do too much physics, or mm. it's trying to do too detailed rendering or lighting, it will definitely have an effect, but but what we've found is there's definitely some little tricks you can use to uh, help reduce motion sickness. And, and one of them is really to make sure that the feeling of immersion is as complete as you can make it. So, Right. So it's actually unreality that makes people nauseous? I, I, I think, yeah. Some of the feedback we've had is I was in the experience, but I could hear you guys talking. So visually, they're looking at one thing. Right. But their brain is telling them I can hear someone talking, but I can't see them. That that didn't bother me. I'll tell you what does bother me, though, and that's if 
you move too quickly. Like there's a sample with the Oculus Rift where you're in a Tuscan townhouse or yeah. something like that. And you can use the arrow keys to move around. And when you move, it's like you go from a dead stop to 50 miles an hour to a dead stop. <laughs> it it yeah. really messes with your brain. And so, you know, the easing is going to be necessary and not being able to go too fast and all of those things. And, you know, when you look around, uh, I I didn't have the problem when I'm just sitting there and looking around, right? Because it's tracking at a pretty decent level, but but it was the movement that really got me nauseous. I had to take it off. Again, it seems to be a physiological thing where your inner ear is telling you you're not moving, but your eyes are telling you you are moving. Right. And I know some people try to induce that on purpose. There's some really great YouTube videos of people using the Rift or some other VR device using the roller coaster application or, or skydiving or, or bungee jumping. And again, that sudden movement that you, that you talked about. There was a it, game that I played that was um, basically flying over these mountains. And that was truly breathtaking. I really, really enjoyed that. And I didn't get as sick from that as I did from the just moving Is that the one where you're an eagle? I don't know if you're an eagle, but you just fly. I mean, you fly yeah, over um, these mountains that are, some are snow-capped and whatever. And it's this little island of mountains. That's it. So again, you've got that gentle movement and control, which your brain can slowly process. Yeah. I got to think something yeah. like that Omnitread would really help you because now you are moving. So as long as yes, Richard. the system responds to you the way you're moving to, to make it line up, that would make you less nauseous. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know the guys from Bohemia have been experimenting with things like the, the Omnitread for their, um, you know, the guys who make armor for some of their VBS and their larger military applications mm-hmm. for their training simulators, trying to, again, the big, one of the big problems with VR at the moment is how do you realistically get that sense of movement or even allow people to move? Because a lot of the applications at the moment, you are kind of stuck on a chair and you mm-hmm. don't really get those sensations of movement which will help reduce the sort of um, motion sickness that can come from your inner, your inner ear not matching with what your, your, your eyes see. Are there other cues you can use to, to sort of give people that more real feeling? Yeah. Um, surprisingly, putting in a fake nose. <laughs> a help. nose? What? Yeah. Yeah, no, it came from Google a, a while back. Just putting in uh, a graphic of the nose, where your nose should be <laughs> in VR will actually help. Interesting. In some cases, reduce. And again, having your hands in the space as well. Yeah, I mean, that's the most disconcerting thing when I was playing with the Oculus before they put the 3D camera on was you put your hands up to touch something, you know, because you're so immersed and you don't see your hands in the frame. Yeah, and that's where things like the Kinect can help out because you can get that really fine control. And things like Gesture Pack, Carl, (laughs) integrate with Kinect and away you go and you start to do some really great stuff. So uh, I, I think those those problems will be figured out. I, I don't see that being a showstopper. You know, maybe it is right now, but I mean, eventually those things will be figured out. And also, nobody has mentioned any kind of motion sickness with Hololens because you're actually looking at the real world, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can actually your, your, the visual cues match what your inner ear is telling you. Yeah. yeah, you're still seeing the world. I mean, it's it's augmented reality rather than virtual reality. Right, yeah. I mean, a little bit of really hard. Have you had a chance to use the HoloLens? Uh, yeah, yeah. They're really concerned about the limited field of view. But, uh, right. 
I think everybody is. But it's still pretty amazing. And, you know, if you just, if you get the perspective right, like if you get the right distance from whatever it is you're working on, it, it should be a lot better. Fantastic. I mean, and again, it is still early days for all of this right. technology. So where's it going to be in another year or two years' time? Yeah. Yeah, it's just going to keep going on. So let's go through this, this whole dev stack. Yeah. So the Oculus Rift, Unity 3D, programming in C Sharp and Studio. Uh, other ingredients? Well, 3D Max? Yeah, there's a whole series of... Yeah, 3D Max is um, what we use, but you can use... If you if you wanted to try this and get going and you don't have a big budget, things like Blender for free to, to do your 3D artwork. Right. But then there's a whole, a whole stack, um, really quite specific tool sets if you wanted to do... To, um, Character animation, tools like Fuse and Mixamo can allow you to do some really nice character animation and build people and building the animations. Building people's got to be really tough. People are squishy. Yeah, that's right. There are some great resources out there already, though. There are, I mean, what do you call those? What do you call these models of people? You call them... Uh, the actual 3D models themselves? Yeah, there's a na- rigging. I guess you call them rigs. Right. Yeah, so you have the models themselves, and, and the rigging is when you actually a, a apply a bone structure to it mm. so that you can then animate it either by keyframe animation or, or with motion capture. There's some amazing, very realistic humanoid rigs out there, or whatever you call these avatars, yeah. that, that you can animate. You know, um, I, I wonder how much Connect is going to play a role in, in this, in terms of understanding you in your VR experience. So you're talking about integrating the Connect itself? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're experimenting with it at the moment. Um, again, it's early days, but just to be able to have your hands there and to be able to interact with the world in a different way mm. using your hands, is, um, I think it has to be part of the path down, down the future, much like at some point the problem of how do you move around is going to be solved, I think. The haptic some, feedback pieces. There's yeah. no easy solutions there. No, that's right. Um, we're certainly finding that the, the applications start to gain a, a another level of realism once you've got the hands in there and you can actually interact with objects. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's definitely part of the stack, I think, for the future. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the, the, and the idea of making it feel like you're touching a 3D object, even though there's no object in your hand. That's right. That's right. That is very holy grailish, the digitization of haptic feedback. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure there's some good, fun, big sky thinking to be had around how you do that. I'm sure we've all done it at some point, some sort of glove device with pressure Yeah, it's going to be something that's feedback. touching your hands. Uh, we yeah. won't talk about the haptic cow. That's a whole other yeah, thing. Yeah, I was going to go there. <laughs> you were going to go there. I, I could feel it. I, <laughs> we've, we've been doing this together for 10 years. I know when you're going to talk about haptic cow. <laughs> the haptic cow was one of these devices Richard found on Richard the Toy Boy. I don't know, remember if it was on old.net rocks or Mondays, but, but it was for veterinarians to uh, practice palpating the ovaries of a cow. <laughs> so literally, they modeled the hind end of a cow. Yeah, <laughs> we, we we were attending a, a conference here in Adelaide on um, simulation, and it was called it's called SimTech and SimHealth. So it's sort of split down the middle. Half of it seems to be industrial and defence applications. Mm-hmm. The other half is medical. And in in the stand near us, there were some very disconcerting models 
physical models for um, pregnancy and uh, certain tests that we don't know anything about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> yes, and, that, and, then, and that's essentially the issue, right? If you build haptic models that are physical, you can't change them very quickly. You really want a digital haptic model. You want to simulate that feedback. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's right. A, it's just a whole other level past uh, what we're capable of doing right Have now. Have you guys seen Vitruvius? This is a, a Connect. It's a, it's, I think it's an actual product that you can buy, but it's a Connect Aviteering framework. V-I-T-R-U-V-I-U-S Connect.com. Vitruvius. No, we've not come across that one. What does it do? Well, you know what avateering is, right? We were just talking about getting a 3D rig and putting it in and controlling it with, with whatever. But now yeah. you can control it with yourself. So the Connect looks at you and basically lets you move a person on the screen just by oh, wow. moving. As you move. You know, the best games, the con- best Connect games do this too. But yeah. as you move, then so does your avatar move. Nice, nice. I think that sort of stuff really starts to come into its own when you start to do multiplayer VR experiences Mm -hmm. when you've got three or four or even five people sort of connected into the same virtual world and can see each other and interact with each other. Mm -hmm. That sort of stuff, again, brings the realism back when the other player that you see, even though they're, they're CG, is moving like a person. Yeah, pretty interesting. Any other ingredients? How do you make your music? Or is there, is there do you need something special there or is it just regular audio stuff? So we use a, a range of um audio composing software which color I'm sure you're more <laughs> than uh, than all, all over um to do small sort of background music using sort of right. click-based libraries. Yeah. And again, and obviously the some... three-dimensionality of the music is important. Yeah, and again, that's where Unity comes in to let you control the way audio responds in a 3D world. So you can have full 3D audio, or if you want, you can also switch down to 2D audio as well, depending on right. the, the nature of the application. Yeah, but again, that you can have a character talking or a speaker talking, and depending on how the user turns their head, the sound's got to sort of shift with it. The object stays in place relative to the 3D space, even though the person's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this, yeah. that's just built that's into Unity 3D? It is, yeah. So they've, 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 they have 3D sounds built in. And again, the effect is fantastic when you're in an experience and you're looking forward. Because yeah. often you'll find you, you forget. You're, you're so engrossed in what's going on in front of you. As a developer, you can now start to put things behind people. And right. You know, really get that element of surprise and delight. So you, you hear a sound and you look... You have to physically look over your over your shoulder. It's great. Yeah, as soon as you get someone to react that way, that that immersive moment where they look behind them physically, yeah. they turn their head <laughs> around. It's like you know you're sitting right, <laughs> that's yeah. and and that's when the holy crap moment usually comes. <laughs> I've I've definitely had the experience playing with the Oculus where I've walked up to the edge of the cliff and gotten yep. the huggly bugglies like I'm, I'm going to yep. fall. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you see this going? I mean, obviously, this is just the beginning. Where do you see it ultimately taking us, or maybe even just the next steps? I mean, I think with the, you know the coming twelve months, eighteen months, as, as some of these devices that are in development come to market, obviously, gaming is going to be a big area. 
but but I, I also see, as I said before, the the business side coming on board, um, and starting to roll out that first generation of business VR apps. But to be honest, where it goes from there, it's kind of unknown, but really exciting. I don't, I'm not really sure where it's going to go, but. Yeah, part of me is not convinced that this will take over gaming just because it is kind of goofy, right? Like, it's harder to have a shared experience. Everybody has to have a pair of goggles, and they're expensive. Uh, and are you willing to wear these things, be unable to see the world around you while you're immersed in another one? Yeah, I guess that kind of depends on the, which particular game you're playing and, and how what the mechanics of the game are. Some right. games are certainly going to be more suited for it. Um, mm. I have had the sense that game designers are going to have turned up the intensity of games so high to create that immersion that now that you put the thing right on your face, they're turned up too high. Yeah. Well, yeah. exactly what I was yeah. talking about, you know, with the sickness idea, the motion sickness. Just like overwhelming terror, or overwhelming noise. It just overwhelms your brain. I mean, yeah. too much sensory overload, right? Yeah. And that's, again, we're working out how does VR actually work and how do we work with VR is going to be some yeah. of the exciting stuff that comes out. I do, but I'm more but excited think, about the non-game thing because if it really is a better way to teach someone to operate a heavy piece of machinery, I almost wonder about the liability on that. Somebody gets really good with the forklift in 3D, you know, to the point where they're doing something reckless in 3D. Like, could this actually teach bad habits? Well, yeah, and that's where you need to start building in controls and, and checks. So as, as you do drive around the... F the warehouse in that particular example, it, it, it is picking up every time you go too fast or you don't right. look behind. If you, and this is one of the great things about VR. You know, one of the standard procedures when you are driving a forklift, when you put it into reverse to go backwards, you you do you are supposed to look physically look over your shoulder, and we can track right. that now. So you we actually can, can to, tell that he looked over his shoulder or not. That's right. That's right. So at the end of a, at the end of a, a, a training session, you get a report, and your instructor gets a report, and, and you can where you can quite clearly identify where you're making mistakes and where work needs to be happening and identify exactly what you're doing wrong. Sure. But as you say, I think it's the industrial and the education aspects, which are the excitement for the future games, are, are good. I was reading a piece by the U.S. Air Force. They were talking about changing the way they train F-16 pilots. And what they'd done is they had instrumented a cockpit in such detail that they were they watched how very talented F-16 pilots flew, where they looked, what they touched, like what was their pattern of behavior to operate the aircraft. And they started modeling that. So rather than you having to go through a test, you actually had to just fly the simulator. And when you did the right things, you passed. Right. What, so cool. it was no longer the sort of rote, you will have this many hours in a simulator, you'll achieve these basic milestones, and you're done. It was no, you can get this done in 15 minutes. If you have the right reflexes and the right behavior, you're done. If you don't, you could be in there for months. I think there may be a market and in the future, when the technology is there, to allow people to have virtual experiences that are so real that uh, that include smells and wind and air and walking, you know, on a sort of a treadmill like this, walking around a town and actually having 360-degree video everywhere, wherever you go, so that you can, uh, you know, just experience a place. And that, that to me yeah. is, is 
is a, would be amazing. And I think something that people would pay for to stroll down a Paris street at sunset, for example. That's right. The, the whole idea of, um, and we, we've explored this idea and are talking with some local hospitals here uh, about doing exactly that for people who are in long-term care, who, who are, for some reason are stuck in a hospital bed for months on end. Yeah. All of a sudden, you can transport them to anywhere, anywhere they want to go, essentially. Uh, and, and you mentioned 360 video. Um, there's some really great stuff going on in that space at the moment. Um, and I'll, I'll send you a link in a couple of weeks, but there's some very cool things happening. In the, yeah, there's the, been some interesting experience of making 360 movies. Mm. You know, just this idea of I can film in such a way that there's no evidence of a film crew. There's no scene, per se. You can look anywhere in this scene at any time. I just wonder, you know, part of making a movie is cinematography. Like, is actually, how do I frame this scene? How do I make you focus on the things that are important to the story? Yeah, I mean, we're doing a lot, a lot of work with 360 video at the moment, and it's quite a hard thing to work out. Again, it's, mm-hmm. it's a bit like... Where is VR going as a technology? But how do you film in VR? As you say, mm. you can't have you can't have any crew in the set. Right. Lighting is lighting. Is oh very no, the the video has to be done ahead of time. But you have to have video of everything and then places where it connects. In other words, when you're you're walking down the street, right, and you want to go into a shop, when you turn and go into that shop, though, you're you're pl- playing a different 360 degree video. You know, it's not like you may not be able to interact with that video, but you could certainly experience it. But just the whole pro, the actual production process of how do you get all of the 360 view without the crew in the shot? You're not going to get it in one pass. No, that's you for have sure. to send a robot with the with the uh, thing down the street. I totally love that idea. Stay tuned. Uh, there, there are some very cool things happening. I'm looking forward to sharing them soon. Uh, maybe it's a hat. <laughs> maybe it's a hat that you anymore. wear, right? Maybe it's a hat that you wear. <laughs> well, well, we've seen the Google car, right? With the cameras all around sure. getting stuff in one pass. Yeah. yeah. So you have to wonder. Have a very that, short that, person that, with a multi, with a 360 degree camera <laughs> on their head. And, and then you get the up and down too, right? Well, you still have the view <laughs> below them is missing. Like you have to fill that in, sure. map that in somehow. Yeah, yeah. But just to, you take that idea a step further. It's a drone! And imagine the capability to, to, to live stream 360 video oh, yeah. anywhere in the world. All of wow. a sudden, tel- telemedicine and teleconferencing has a whole different Yeah, we'll have these 360-degree <laughs> camera drones everywhere just infiltrating the cities. There'll be no people, <laughs> just drones everywhere. <laughs> There's been those movies where people That's... are just lying in bunks strapped to VR harnesses and their world is, you know, they're actually accessing information via remote device. So you, you, know, you no longer go home and sit and watch TV for a couple of hours. You go home and t- tell your wife that I'm going on holiday to, to, to Fiji yeah. for two hours. Yeah. Well, you never left and home in the first it. place. You just sent your drone out. How sad, actually. <laughs> well, that, that's it. Mean, it is. You've got to think of it. How, how does it fit into, how does VR fit into the our lifestyles? Life, yeah. You don't want to end up with that situation where you, yeah. But I do like the idea of, you know, dull, dirty, dangerous tasks. Yeah. Being able to be done remotely. Like just teleoperations with VR. Yeah, that's it. Again, the, the industrial applications are really yeah. one of the big areas for the future. 
and right. really quite exciting because there are, it's, it's so new. It's really a new way of as in, interfacing with technology that if you look at the world as it stands now, almost everywhere you look, there's something you could probably do with VR in, in some way. And right. I said every time we speak with someone, they've all got ideas. You could do this or you could do that or you could try this. Can and we you, have a blackboard of ideas, and it just gets longer and longer by the day. Can you share any of those things you're working on with us? So we're, we're doing a few, um, working with some local galleries, museums and galleries, to provide, provide them a way to expand their exhibit offering to, to do things they couldn't realistically do, mm. uh, you know, such as you know, visiting, visiting the Apollo 11 landing site. Right, it's just physically not possible wow, but yeah. with a, an ex, a VR Fairly experience. Fairly expensive. Yeah, it's it's probably the ticket ticket price is just too high for most people, unfortunately. Well, and and also there's an expectation that like that's a World Heritage site, even when it is cheaper, you're still not going to be allowed to visit it. You know, that's so right. the idea that we would capture that site in perfect three dimensional detail, so that you can explore it without damaging it. That's right. That's mm. right. And you can you can you can open that experience to school kids everywhere, and all of a sudden yeah. they can really understand because you. It's one thing to see a picture, but to be standing there next to the lander and look up and see the Earth, right? Again, well, and that to when see you get, the first footprint wow by a human on the on another body, yeah. without it actually accidentally stepping on it. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, we're doing a lot of work around that. We're also taking part in the Adelaide Fringe next year, which is a big arts festival. So they've decided to to have an interactive component for the first time. So we're creating a, a multiplayer virtual reality experience where you, you go around a very sort of arty, emotional world trying to solve a problem as a group. And it's a kind of a, a virtual reality play in a way. And yeah, as I mentioned, absolutely. we're also doing a lot of work on uh, 360 video at the moment with um, musicians and, and galleries and stuff. So, yeah, there's again, there's so many areas to work on, but those are some of the ones we're focusing on at the moment. Wow. Very cool. Matt, thanks very much for talking to us for this hour. It's been great. That's been a pleasure, guys. Thank you so much. Again, I'm so excited about the year, and it's just great to, have to, to talk with people about it, and especially people like yourselves. Well, we'll be, we'll be watching you, that's for sure. And uh, we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a-